have your Bibles today, I want you to go with me to um, the uh, Gospel of Mark chapter 11. There's a couple of verses here I want to see here in Mark chapter 11. And uh, can everybody hear me okay? I want to bring that up a little bit, Josh? Okay, yeah. Mark chapter 11. We'll read these two verses here and then we'll pray. Father, thank you. From Mark chapter 11, verse 22, it says, And Jesus answered and saith unto them, Have faith in God. Let's say that. Have faith in God. When you face any type of adversity in your life, whether it's a physical challenge, a spiritual challenge, a mental challenge, a financial challenge, a social challenge, that pretty much covers everything. I believe that the Lord will always come back with this statement, have faith in God. You say, well, Pastor, I just can't seem to figure out how to fix this situation. Have faith in God. See, isn't it easy to try to mentally reason things out? Amen. But he says, have faith in God. For very, Verse 23 says, for verily I say unto you that whosoever... Now, that means anybody can. You know, I heard a definition of a whosoever one time. I thought it was the best I've ever heard. What's a whosoever? Everybody won't. Anybody can. Somebody will. (laughs) Everybody won't. Anybody can, but somebody will. And you and I can decide today, I'm going to be a whosoever. He says, whosoever, you can put your name in there, shall say unto this mountain, circumstance, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt, notice that word, shall not doubt, I want you to underline that, shall not doubt in his heart. That means you can have doubt in your head, but have faith in your heart. Did you know that? That used to throw me for many years. I'm telling you, when I was a young believer, I thought, well, if I had faith, I wouldn't have these doubts in my head. Until Brother Hagin came along, he said, you know, I've seen some of the greatest miracles. You can have faith in your heart, but still have doubts in your head and see the miraculous take place. Because, you know, your senses, your five senses, your mind is trained on only you believe what you see, you believe what you hear, but you can have faith in your heart and not doubt. Amen? He says, he shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. I've heard the statement one time, people said this, that we're criticizing the faith message, which is really the Jesus message. Where did faith come from? It came from Jesus. Amen? And they said, well, this faith stuff doesn't work. Well, it just worked for them because they said it in reverse. When people say that that healing stuff doesn't work for me, they're having what they say. Because that's what they believe. Is everybody with me? Now what I'm going to talk about today, Father, we give you the praise and the honor and the glory. I thank you for imparting to me this week the things that you want me to share here today, Father. I thank you that it's going to be life-changing and that we will never, ever, ever be the same again. Because of the Spirit of God that's working on the inside of us and breathing on us today, this life-giving message from your word, Father. And we give you all the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Jesus said, Be thou removed. If you say, Be removed, be cast into the sea, and shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith, if you doubt not in your heart. Now, what I want to talk about today is dealing with the spirit of doubt and unbelief. Dealing with the spirit of doubt and unbelief. All of us here at some point in our lives have had to deal with this spirit of doubt and unbelief. How many know what I'm talking about? Fear comes against you. Doubt comes. You know, see, these are all, these are all demonic things. They all run together. You got doubt, you got fear, you got unbelief. Those three things, fear, doubt, and unbelief, they're all cousins. They all run together. Okay? But I want you to go over here to Matthew chapter 14 for a minute. Matthew chapter 14. And I want to show you something. The Lord breathed on me this week, early part of week, Monday of this week. And I mean to tell you, I've never been the same since. He breathed on me some things and showed me some things. Not only just to minister to these that are here, but he was showing me things personally, praise God. But he gave me the permission to share some of these things today because, you know, most of us deal with these things whether we realize it or not. Amen. We're talking about dealing with the spirit of doubt. Okay. Boy, I can't wait to get into this. But in Matthew 14, verse 22, verse 22 says, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into the ship or the boat and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Now let's stop there for a minute in verse 22. Jesus gave the disciples a commission to go to the other side, right? To get into the boat. Let me say it like this. Jesus just empowered them to cross over to the other side. Hallelujah. When the Lord says something to you by his word or by his spirit, that is an empowerment to do what he just told you to do. Always. But let's look at this progression right here. Verse 23, and when he had sent the multitude away, he went up up into the mountain apart to what? Pray. Fellowship with God. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship, that's with the disciples, was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. In other words, they had a headwind. They weren't making very much progress here. The wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, now that is between 3 o'clock and 4 a.m. Between 3 and 4 a.m., the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went into them walking on the sea. Oh, don't forget, he just came out of a place of prayer. (laughs) All right, so verse 26 says, When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit or a ghost, and they cried out for fear. Now, you and I would probably do the same thing. It's called a freak-out session. (laughs) They saw a spirit. They saw a ghost. Okay? Superstition has it that, that, you know, if you were, most of these guys had previous experience as a fisherman before Jesus called them into the ministry. And uh, just like today, you know, there's different superstitions that if, if you saw 
a ghost or a spirit on the water, that meant within minutes you were about to die. Okay? It's just like black cats going under ladders and mirrors breaking and all this kind of stuff, you know, superstitious stuff. People believe that stuff, you know what I mean? And so uh, they shrieked. The Greek says they actually shrieked with fear. Okay? And uh, where am I here? Verse 27. This is after they cried out for fear. They said, it's a spirit. All of them, all the disciples. Can you imagine seeing that? <laughs> I wonder if we'll see that in heaven, a rerun of that. Everybody say panic attack. <laughs> now, these, are human, these are human beings just like you and I. It's not every day that you see someone walking on the water. Okay? Now, the only time I've walked, I've walked on the water a few times in my life. Amen. But it was 20 degrees outside. Okay? That when Jesus, look, it says, uh, um, verse 28, it says, And Peter answered and said unto him, Lord, if it's you. Because he first said, be not afraid. Jesus, when he, every time Jesus shows up, what's he do? He eradicates fear, gets fear out of your life. Because fear makes you sink. And we'll see that in a minute here. He said, if it's you, bid me to come on the water. Verse 29, he said, come. Say come. Now, remember I said that Jesus, when he gives you a word, he empowers you to do that. He said, get in the ship, go to the other side, right? So he empowered them to do that. And when God empowered, Jesus empowered them to do that, all of a sudden they had resistance. They had waves coming against them. We should not be surprised, folks, that when you do what God says, that the contrary winds come against you, winds of adversity come against you to get you to doubt and to get you to fear. Amen? That's just how the devil works. But here again, Jesus said, come. So in other words, he empowered Peter to walk on the water. Okay? And it says, he said, come. And Peter went, came down out of the ship and walked on the water to go to Jesus. Isn't that something? Verse 29. Peter, a man like you and I, walked on the water. Actually, he walked on the word of Jesus. And it made him, it sustained him. Do you notice that Peter walked on the water? Where were the other disciples? Back in the boat. Playing it safe. Amen. All those disciples caught a got out, they could have jumped out, got out in the water and did a dance in the spirit on the water. Can you imagine that? <laughs> now I know of people, I've, I've heard of services. R.W. Shambach talked about a service where a lady was dancing in the spirit and she had her eyes closed and she was near a stage and she just kept going and she went to the end of the stage she didn't even realize it she just kept going she started dancing in the spirit in midair now that'll get your attention there's been services like that where people are playing the piano and they walk away and the piano keeps playing okay what's that a sign and a wonder and a miracle praise God now verse 30 it says, now pay attention here. It says, when Jesus saw, when, or when he, Peter, saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, beginning to sink. And he cried, saying, Lord, save me. Now notice in verse 30, when he saw the wind boisterous, he became afraid. What he looked at affected 
his spiritual condition. And he began to sink. And so he cried out in verse 30, Lord, save me. Now verse 31 says, Immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand, caught him, and said unto him. Now notice what Jesus says, O thou of little faith, wherefore did thou, what? Now we're talking about dealing with the spirit of doubt. Okay? I believe that this spirit is going to be exposed today. The devil's going to have a bad day today. A very bad day today. Because we are going to expose the spirit of doubt and fear and unbelief. Because it's demonic and it's from the pit of hell. And we don't have any business dealing with that. Now notice that Peter was robbed and came short of God's very best in this situation. The, the Lord's will was that he wouldn't sink not even ankle deep. His, the Lord's will in this situation is that Peter would walk to Jesus, turn around and walk back to the boat without even getting wet. Without even getting wet. But what happened? Because Jesus said, O thou of little faith, wherefore did thou doubt? Say this after me. Say, doubt will make you sink. Now, doubt will make us sink. Doubt will make you sink. In other words, doubt will cause you to come up short. Doubt will cause you to not receive what God has for you. Okay? And that's why Jesus corrected Peter. says, man, you're, he's basically saying you did so good. Why did you doubt? So doubt caused him to sink. Now it's interesting because you can be around other people, even family members, even so-called Christians, that operate under a spirit of doubt and fear and unbelief. And it will affect you if you hear what they have to say. Doubt, fear, and unbelief. Sometimes people's lifestyle indicates they don't believe. They don't believe. Amen? If they believe, they'd be taking a change of course of action. Amen? But see, Peter started out okay. But when he saw the wind boisterous. Now, you know, you can't see the wind. Jesus talked about that in the Gospel of John. The wind blows where it listeth. You can't see it. Likewise, like the Spirit. But you can see the effects of the wind. If it's windy outside, I can't see the wind. But there's trees out there. I can see branches moving if the wind's blowing. You can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. And the waves were produced by the wind. And Peter, God, in verse 30, when he saw the wind boisterous, he became afraid. Say, full of fear. Okay. Now, all of us have the opportunity here. Thank you, Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. All of us have the opportunity to get our eyes on the natural. On the natural. But if we just keep looking at the natural circumstances of life, there will be a tendency, and probably so, that doubt will come in, fear will come in, and you will begin to sink. Now, it says Peter began to sink. Now, I've jumped off a few diving boards in my time, not recently. 
But I never began to sink if I jumped off. Have you? I mean, I went off a high dive one time. I jumped off, actually. I didn't dive off, but I jumped off, and within a split second, I was under the water. <laughs> I didn't begin to sink. But Peter began to sink. In other words, he started going down, ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep. And all of a sudden, he said, Lord, save me. I'm so glad that Jesus, in his mercy, aren't you glad God's a merciful God? God's a merciful God. Amen? The Lord does not want you and me to be swallowed up by winds of adversity in our life. Amen? We do not have to be swallowed up by doubt, fear, and unbelief because that is what makes us sink. Praise God. A good indication whether you believe God's word or not is do you get excited when you hear God's word? If I, don't, if I hear God's word and I'm like, eh, then I really don't believe it. But the, the choice is up to us. The choice is up to us. I'm not pointing any fingers whatsoever. I'm saying all of us have a choice. Smith Wigglesworth, who raised over 23 people from the dead, documented people under his ministry, didn't even see himself as a strong faith person. It's amazing how he didn't even see himself. He saw himself as a child of God, as a man of God that loved Jesus, you know. He wasn't going out and just said, my mission is to raise people from the dead. His mission was to be close to the Father, close to Jesus. But he, made, he was famous for making this statement. It's a, uh, who was it? Uh, Lester Summerall. Anybody heard of Lester Summerall before? Was mightily, he was actually trained underneath. Uh, Smith was older, but if you, if you go on YouTube, you can see the documentary about it. But Lester Summerall was a young man at the time, you know, who had revival on every, every continent you can think of. And, uh, and he said when he was just a young kid, he said he came to the door at 70 Victor Lane in the UK, at Bradford, England. Still there. The houses still stand there. You can look it up. You can see it. 70 Victor Lane. If you do Google, you can go see it. Yeah, and Glenn and Kathy have the numbers from that house. Amen. 70 Victor Lane. That's an interesting name, isn't it? Praise the Lord. But Lester said this. He said he came to the door first time ever. He said, uh, and here comes a stately man, old, older man, Smith Wigger, opened the door, and he came, because I guess he had met him before that, you know, and he invited him over. And he said, I guess he was nervous, he says, how do you do, Brother Smith? And he said this. Now, he was a gruff man from the natural, from his personality. He says, he says when I wake up in the morning, he says, I don't ask Smith Wigglesworth how I feel. I tell him how he's going to feel. Come on in. How would you like that for a greeting? Now, a lot of people try to be like that, but you know, you've got to just be yourself. You've got to be who you are, right? People try to be like other people, you know, and, and so forth. Wigglesworth had a mustache, and he would always go like this, you know, and other young preachers tried to copy that, you know, like, like that's going to produce something, you know, copy him in the flesh. But you can follow his example of faith, Okay. Well, he said this. He says, I don't ask Smith Wigglesworth when I wake up in the morning. How do you feel? I tell him how he's going to feel today. Amen. 
And he also said this. He says, I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm moved by what I believe. And I believe the word of God. Hallelujah. Now, one, on one occasion, there was actually a guy named Brother Smith that had died. Now, back in those days, they would have the funeral in people's homes. Okay, back in the 1800s, early 1900s, over in that part of the world, they would do funeral. They didn't have funeral homes like we have today. They would do it in the person's home. Okay? And, uh, and like I said, he was invited to go to the funeral service. And he walks in there in the spirit. Now, you don't just do this out of ordinary faith. You know, like, I, I'm going to decide to do this. You know, it has to be the gift of special, I mean, it's special faith. To raise somebody from the dead, that's just more than your ordinary faith. Now, it can and it will happen and it happens today. Okay? And uh, he said he walked in there and, it, you know, his story was the gift of faith dropped upon him. He said, go raise up Brother Smith right now. Now, there's people there walking around in, their, in the house, you know, the caskets laid out, you know. And he said that the story has it that he walked in there, grabbed him by the nap of the, the collar there in the, in the casket. Think about that. Y'all been to a funeral before? He pulls him out. And he threw him up against the wall. He, says, he said, live in Jesus' name. And he just, just fell over like a, like a rag doll. <laughs> but see, he had the word of the Lord came to him. So he, he goes over, picks him up again. He throws him against the wall. He's not nice about this. He says, I command you to live in Jesus' name. Same thing fell to the ground. The third time, bam, threw him against the wall. He said, I command you to live. He said he batted his eyes. He sneezed a couple times and he walked out. Praise the Lord. Now, to him, that was just an ordinary day. There is millions of miracles. I mean millions of miracles, signs and wonders. If you read about him, I encourage you to do so. You can so much learn from his, you know, he only, he had a, like a second grade education. And the only book that he knew how to read, his wife taught him to read, was the Bible. That's the only book that he learned how to read. He never read anything else. Okay. I think there's something to say about that. Amen. <laughs> but people have said this, starve your doubts and feed your faith. Have you ever heard that term before? Starve your doubts and feed your faith. Have you ever been around somebody that after you left them, you had more fears and doubts in your life? Am I the only one? You're like, oh God, I need to get baptized to get or something here, you know? Because the spirit of doubt and the spirit of faith, that's why I like to spend time with people that have a spirit of faith, that believe, that talk the word of God. Some Christians are, you can't even, it's, it's unusual for them to even talk about the Bible, the word of God. It ought, not, it ought not be that way. We ought to be able to talk about the word of God, talk about the things of God, the word of God. We'll become better people as a result of it. Praise God. But notice verse 30, it says, when, when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, beginning to sink. And he said, Lord, save me, save me. Now let's go over real quickly here to Mark, Mark chapter 6. Remember Jesus said, if you believe and doubt not in your heart, 
Okay? We also see here in, in Matthew that we just read that Peter, when he entertained doubt by looking at the wrong thing, praise God. You know, I've dealt with people through the years, through the last 30 years, not only as a pastor but as an assistant pastor. And you learn by observation, you learn by different things. But you know, when people are in dire situations, and they're in situations where it's life-threatening, and they're watching some secular thing when you walk into the hospital, you know, some, some goofy show, I'm thinking, you don't have time for this. Some stupid, goofy game show. Some guy up there spinning the big wheel or something, you know what I mean? And they've got a cancer eating their body away. Are you with me now? They have time to do that when their time is limp in the natural, their time is, their clip, the clock is ticking while they're on this earth. They don't have time for that. And I've noticed that when people do that, they're not here very long. Those kinds of people have a hard time getting a hold of, of healing because, I'm talking about divine healing, because other natural things are more important than the Word of God. Than the Word of God. And that's the only thing that's going to sustain a person. Glory to God. Now we see here in Mark chapter 6 that, uh, let's just pick up in verse 1. It says, When he went out from thence, he came unto his own country, talking about Jesus, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is that which is given unto him? that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands. Is there offended at him? Verse 3 it says, and this, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judah, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. That's not a good thing. Now Jesus was the firstborn for Mary, right? But after that she had other children. He had other brothers and sisters except that Jesus' father was God, their father was Joseph. Are you with me? They were offended at him. They said, is not this the carpenter's son? They didn't say, is this not the son of God? So in other words, they were offended at him. And they said, how can this happen? This... We grew up with him. They were seeing Jesus only from the natural standpoint. Now, they were, notice in verse 33, it says they were offended at him. Now, verse 4, And Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not... Now, was Jesus a prophet? Oh, yeah. He said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, among his own kin, and among his own house. It's even said that James, his brother, his half-brother, didn't even receive Jesus until after Jesus was raised from the dead, church history, and Jesus appeared to him. Okay? The familiarity. The common. The familiarity. Now look at verse 5. This is probably the saddest verse. I, I wrote down here the saddest verse in the entire Bible. 
And he could there do no mighty work. Save he laid his hands upon a, upon a few sick folk and healed them. Now look at verse 6. And he marveled because of their unbelief. What was the reason that Jesus, it didn't say he wouldn't do miracles. It said he could not do any miracles in his hometown. Why? Because of their unbelief. Doubt. Unbelief. Short-circuited the power of God. Well, you know, Pastor Keith, you know, Jesus is God. He can do anything he wants. Well, if that's the case, then why couldn't he do it in his hometown? He was severely limited in his hometown from miraculous. It says, actually, he healed a few people with minor ailments, the Greek says, just like common stuff. You know what I mean? Colds, hangnails. <laughs> No blind eyes being opened, no deaf ears unstopped, no uh, uh, lame people being healed. Okay? Minor ailments. And it says he could there do no mighty work because, verse 6, this is the reason, because of their unbelief. Now what is the cure for unbelief? It says he went round about their villages, what? Teaching. How does faith come? It comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He could, it's interesting because Jesus could go maybe three or four miles from that location or five miles to the next town, preach the exact same message, and supernatural things would happen. What's the difference? Well, one group of people had unbelief and doubt. Where the next group of people said, we believe he's the Messiah, he's the Son of God. They've thrown down palm branches and everything because they know who he is. Expectation. Hallelujah. But here's what I want you to see here. We're talking about dealing with the spirit of doubt and fear and unbelief. As a believer in Christ Jesus, that spirit has no authority over you. Listen, all of us are tempted to doubt. All of us are tempted to have fear. All of us are tempted to have unbelief because of what we're looking at. But I submit this to you. If we look at the Word of God, now we're not to, we're supposed to look at God's Word. Focus on God's Word. Say God's Word. Believe God's Word. Speak God's Word. And when we do, our faith will be sufficient enough to keep us above the water so that we won't sink. Amen? You see, I've been at this long enough. I've been in the ministry 30 years. A little over 30 years. And I've noticed this, just an observation that when people take the Word of God seriously, they seem to overcome every obstacle that's thrown at them. Now, from the natural, you look at it like, oh, man, that's a tough situation they're going through right there. But I'm telling you, when you hang on to the Word of God like a bull rope and you hang on to it, you just don't let go. You don't quit. Hallelujah. Wimps quit. Spiritual wimps give up. They quit. When the pressure's on, they just quit. They just give up. Praise God. But let me ask you a question. When you give up and you quit, who in the world do you turn to? Who do you turn to if you give up and you quit? Who do you turn to? There is no one else. Amen? 
But Jesus marveled because of their what? Their unbelief. Now, there's only two examples in the Bible where Jesus marveled. The other one was where the centurion was uh, asking for his Jesus to pray for come and lay hands on his servant. Remember that? And uh, he said, well, there's no need for you to come. He said, I'm a man under authority. <laughs> I say to soldiers, this one go, he goes. This one come and he comes. He said, just speak. The, he just told Jesus, just speak the word. Only my servant will be healed. Jesus did one of these. What did I just hear? He marveled at his faith. Now, the man probably didn't think he was anything special. He, Jesus said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I haven't found so great faith, no, not in Israel. In other words, there's millions of people in Israel. This dude here has the greatest faith of anybody else. Why? Because he understood authority. He understood authority. He said, I have soldiers and I say, I say with my word, go do this and do with it and come. And he does, you know, he had people underneath him, right? He understood authority. He understood that Jesus was a man of authority. He said, you don't need to come to my house. Now, how many of us would do that? Brother Hagen or Copeland or Earl Roberts were in here. He said, um, uh, you said, can you pray for me? And he said, well, they said, well, let me, I'm going I'm to jump in your car. I'm going to go to your house today. How many people would turn that down? You'd be like, come. <laughs> Open the door. That would be paramount for us to say, look, you're a busy person. You don't need to come. Just say the word only and they'll be healed. Amen? That'd be like if you said, Pastor, can you come and pray for me? You know, and or I, I said, I'm going to come and look at your house. I'm going to pray for you or whatever. And then you said, look, don't even, don't even worry about coming. Just say the word right now. The thing will happen right now. That's what he was doing. And it's interesting because his servant was healed from that selfsame hour. He was delivered. And it, he was miles away. Miles away. Isn't that interesting? But see... He understood authority, that Jesus had authority. He just said, I love this. He said, just speak the word only. You don't have to come to my house. Amen. I think that's one of the most fascinating verses in the whole Bible. He said, you don't, you don't even need to come to my house. Just say the word only. My servant will be healed. There was no fanfare. There was nothing spectacular about that. He just said, just speak the word only. Amen. Do you know you can have the same kind of faith? It's a choice. It's, that man had a choice. You and I have a choice. Glory to God. So we could say here that doubt and unbelief severely limited Jesus and his ministry in his hometown. Let's go back to the Old Testament here real quick here. Uh, in, in, in Psalm 78. I want to read a few verses here in the book of Psalms 78. And this is uh, uh, referring to the Israelites when they were in Egypt, the bondage that they were in. And the psalmist wrote about some of the things that they went through and what they overcame and so forth. And we're just going to read a few verses here, but I really think this is so important here. We're talking about dealing with the spirit of doubt and unbelief. This is, this is the biggest robber of the church world today. But once you find out where the thief is coming, the Bible says the devil 
comes first of all in John 10, 10, but for to steal, number one. Number two, kill. Number three, destroy. He doesn't come to destroy first. He comes to steal. He's a thief. The devil's a thief. And when you find out who he is and what he's all about, and you've called him on the carpet, and you find out what's going on here, I'm telling you, his heyday is, is over. Amen? Kelly, at some point in the service, I want you to share briefly what the Lord shared with you about the 23rd Psalm. Remember what you shared with us about the 23rd Psalm? The Lord is our shepherd. Or John 10.10, 10, I'm sorry. Would that be all right? It'll be fine. <laughs> Think about it. Think about it. She shared something with, with us this week, and I tell you, it was, I heard the Holy Ghost talking through her, and it just, it just ministered so much to me, so much to me. In Psalm 78, verse 12, it says, talking about Israel, said, Marvelous things he did in the sight of their fathers, in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zon. And it went on to say in verse 13, He divided the sea and caused them to pass through. He made the water stand as a heap in the daytime, he led them with a cloud, and all night with a light of fire. Verse 15, he clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink out of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock, that's the split rock of Horb. And he caused the waters to run down like rivers. Isn't that amazing? And they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their hearts by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God, and they said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? This is after He's already provided for them several times, right? Can God provide? Verse 20 says, And behold, He smote the rock, and the waters gushed out, and the streams overflowed. Can He give bread also? Can He provide flesh for His people? Can you see the spirit of doubt and unbelief here? Can you? We're exposing the spirit of doubt and unbelief here. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Can you see the doubt and unbelief after God's already done all these miracles and they're saying, can God do this? Will God do this? In verse 21, therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth. Now this is after a long period of time. And the fire was kindled against Jacob and against, came up against Israel. And because they believed not in God nor trusted in his salvation... Verse 23, though he had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven and rained down man upon them to eat and gave them corn of heaven, man did eat, notice this, angels food. And he sent them meat to be full. And he caused an east wind to blow from heaven and by the power he brought from the south wind. And he rained flesh upon them as dust and feathered fowl uh, like the sand of the sea. Remember that, the quail? Verse 28, And he let it fall in the midst of their camp round about their habitations. And so they did eat and were filled, and he gave them their own desire. And they were, uh, they were not estranged from their lust, but while the meat was in their mouths, the wrath of God came upon them and slew the fattest of them, smote them down the chosen men of Israel. For all this they still sinned, believed, and notice this, they believed not for his wondrous works. Therefore their days he did consume in vanity and their years in trouble. When he slew them, he sought them, and they returned and required early after God. And they remembered, verse 35, and they remembered that God was their rock and that he was their redeemer. Nevertheless, 
They did flatter him with their mouth, but they lied unto them with their tongues, and their heart was not right with him. Neither were they steadfast in his covenant. Notice that, verse 38. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity, destroyed them not. Yea, many of time he turned away his anger and did not stir up all his wrath. For he remembered that there were but flesh, for the wind passeth away and cometh again. How often did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Do you know the Bible talks about grieve not the Holy Ghost in, in Ephesians? Now here's what I want you to see in verse 40, 41. Yea, they turned back, tempted God, and limited the Holy One of Israel. Everybody say sad day. <laughs> this is another sad day. Now, do you realize how much the Lord put up with them? If you read through the book of Exodus, especially the book of Exodus, and you see what God did bringing them out in the, in, in the judgments that came upon Egypt. Right you near know, there's righteous judgments. How many of you know that? There's righteous judgments. Hallelujah. And that's a good thing. But after a while, the Lord expected them to have some faith and not doubt. After he had fed them, they said, can God provide a meal for us? Can God provide food for us? Can God provide a drink for us, you know? Well, you know, I'd get tired of hearing that too. You know, you split a rock open with his rod, you know, and the rock comes gushing out. And that rock, that split rock of Horeb, you can look it up. It's, on, it's still there to this day. Split, right? That's 60 feet tall. And over there, they only get, right, about less than three inches of rain per year. And there's massive amounts of water erosion over this split rock where the Bible says Moses hit it and it opened it up and the depths sprung up. And there's massive amounts of water erosion on these rocks and the rocks. And that water, it was not a little trickle like a water fountain. That water shot up like a stream and it filled the entire valley because, folks, there's over 3 million Jewish people plus their cattle and everything, their livestock. This was a lake of water. That just kept that, and the Bible says that rock that followed them, that rock was Christ. That was a type and shadow of Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians 15. Glory to God. And so, verse 41 says, They turned back and they tempted God and they limited. Notice they limited the Holy One of Israel. So, in other words, let me say it to you like this there were things that God wanted to do for them that he couldn't do because of their doubt and their fear and their unbelief. Amen. And that's why the good majority, the only ones that didn't perish in the wilderness, and you know the story well enough, God was bringing them out to bring them into the promised land. Do you remember that? And you read over in Numbers chapter 13, I'll just refer to it because of time. In Numbers chapter 13, God told Moses to send up, now there was 12 tribes in Israel, right? 12 tribes. And he says, I want you to send up 12 of the leaders of the tribes of Israel. And I want you to go, they were up near Mount Nebo, and I want you to go and search out and spy out the land and to see what you are about to enter into. Not to see if you can, but to spy out and get a sneak preview of what's going to come. And you know, remember that? They came and they, went, they searched the land for 40 days and 40 nights, didn't they? And they came back bringing 
They were able to sneak in there enough to gather some of the grapes and the fruit and the, the, the fruit of the land. And they came back. Remember, that these are 12 leaders. 12. Out of these 12 tribes, right? 12 leaders came back. And it says in, in Numbers chapter 13, they brought back an evil report. And it says 10 of the spies, there was how many spies? There was 12. 10 of them brought back, the Bible says, an evil report of unbelief. Unbelief is an evil report. And they said, yes, the land is a land that flows with milk and honey. Here's fruit. Here's the, here's the proof of it. But there's giants in the land. But see, there was, there was uh, two other heads of the tribes of Israel. Joshua was one. And Caleb was another one. And the Bible says they had another report. The Bible says they had another spirit. They had the spirit of faith. Now listen very carefully. All of them saw the same land. They experienced the same, seeing the same blessed, the potential blessing. But see, God already told Moses, he said, look, I've already given you the land. He calls those things which be not as though they were. He says, I've already given it to you. Now Joshua and Caleb had another spirit. What did they have? The spirit of faith. And they said, we can do this. They're bred for us. We can do this. And the rest of the, the Israelites got so mad they wanted to stone them for a good report, for a good confession. How many times do people get mad at you when you say positive things? Oh, you're one of those positive thinkers. No, I'm Bible thinkers, amen, and we need to think positive. The Word of God will give you a positive outlook on an outcome. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> and they wanted to stone them. But you know the rest of the story. Only Joshua and Caleb and those underneath them, 20 years and younger, got to go in and possess the land. Were they outnumbered? Of course they were. But it didn't matter to them because God said, look, I've given you the land. You just go up and you possess it. Yeah. Amen. Now, how, here's what the Lord showed me this week. You know, they spied the land out first before they went in. How do we spy out our land? We spy out the scriptures, the promises of God. All the promises of God are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God by us. All the promises of God. But yet people look at the word and they say, oh, I know it says this, but oh God, I'm sicker than a dog, whatever that means. <laughs> I know the word of God says this, but I can't pay my bills. Oh, mentally ascending to the word of God instead of believing with your heart what God's word says. Amen. And it's, you know, it's really sad because all those other Israelites that came back with an evil report never got to go into the promised land. Their carcasses are still there to this day in the wilderness, buried there. Never got to walk into it. I'm not saying they didn't go to heaven, but they sure didn't get to go into the promised land. They didn't do it. They perished. They died in the wilderness. Why? Doubt, fear, unbelief. Doubt, fear, and unbelief will cause you and me to never enter into the fullness of what God has for us. And I tell you, the devil's real subtle and real sly. He's always been that way. 
He doesn't just come out like a whore flick and go, you know what I mean, like a spirit of fright. But he slithers through the grass. He's a snake, you know, and he's real cunning and devising and, and works his way into your thinking. Okay? That's why a lot of universities today are doubt-filled, fear, and unbelief because they try to do away with the Word of God. Oh, man. I'll tell you, I was watching some show one time. Um, I don't remember which channel it was, but I thought it was a... At first I thought, well, this is interesting. It's about the Bible and about the Israelites and Moses and in Egypt and all this kind of stuff. So I love that kind of stuff anyway until I started watching it. And then I began how they reasoned out everything that happened. Like the, the water turning to red. They said, well, that's an algae that comes there and so forth. And are you kidding me? And they reasoned everything out, the supernatural. They reasoned it out. I went, click, turn that thing off. Doubt, fear, and unbelief. They turned back. They limited God. They limited the Holy One of Israel because of their doubt and their fear and their unbelief. Doubt, fear, and unbelief. Did Peter fall short of the best that God had for him? Yes. What was it? Doubt. Doubt. Is what, is what we're hearing, ask yourself this question, if, if, if what I'm hearing during the week, now I know when you're, when you're here, you're going to get faith. Make no mistake about it. I know more than anything else. When I'm here, you are going to get a good dose of faith from God's Word when you're here in this church. Amen? And the only reason that people wouldn't want to come hear it is because they don't believe anyway. That's the only reason they wouldn't want to come. They don't believe it. I don't believe a word he's saying. Don't believe a word he's saying. It's really what God is saying. It's not what Keith is saying. It's what, what God said. If you don't believe it, you're not going to even show up. <laughs> Are you with me? Overall, I'm talking as a pattern. Okay. I'm not talking about it. you go on vacation, you miss here and there. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about an overwhelm attitude. Like, nah, that's just Keith up there. Well, they said that about Jesus, too. That's just the carpenter's son. Well, God couldn't do very much there. Amen? There's been a few times, not many times, but there's a few times in my life where I had people say, just lay your hands on me and I'll be healed. Nothing, spec, no sparks flying, nothing spectacular. I'm thinking... Wow, they really believe. Just, just lay your hands on me. I'll be healed right now. Not begging me. Not saying, please, Pastor Keith, would you pray for me? Just say, just lay your hands on me. I'll be healed. If I'm on the phone, just pray and I'll be healed. And those people get healed just like that. Just as, it's like you could snap your fingers. Amen? There's, a time, there's been a few times in my life where I've had symptoms on my body come against me, you know, different types of things. And I told Lynn or Kelly or whoever was in the house, I said, just lay your hands on me and I'll be healed. As soon as you lay hands on me, I'll be healed. Right? Yeah. I'd believe that. And guess what? It happens. <laughs> Within a few minutes, it's all gone. Hallelujah. The sun shines out. The clouds remove. The sun is out. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You see, doubt is a choice. Doubt is a decision. But so is faith. So is faith. Doubt's a choice. Doubt is a decision. Doubters will drown. Amen? But when you have faith in the Word of God, see, we're not talking about anybody else's Word, but the Word of God. 
the Word of God. Go to, real quickly here, to, uh, to Deuteronomy chapter 20. We're wrapping this up here. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Just two verses I want you to see right here. You know, it's interesting because if you look in the four Gospels, the ministry of Jesus, you will find when Jesus chose his disciples and he would go into a certain town, there were times where he would drive out the unbelief. And we'll show this to you in a minute here. He would put them all forth. What's that mean? Kick them out. Amen? Mark Hankins talks about this. He said, you know, his wife was diagnosed with having an inoperable brain tumor years ago, probably 15, 20 years ago now. He's a preacher of the gospel. They said they couldn't even operate. The tumor was so big. Well, she's healed. Okay? No surgery, nothing. She's completely healed preaching the gospel. But he said, you know, I, I was raised around this stuff. I was raised, his dad was B.B. Uh, uh, um, Hankins, would have Brother Hagen come in. This was back in the 50s and preach there and so forth. He, had, he grew up as a pastor's kid. And he said, he, he started to realize, what do I really believe? Let me make a long story short. They made a choice to believe God's word. She was in the hospital. And he said he commissioned a big, heavy-set, strong woman to sit at the door and there's big sign, he put a big sign up there, no unbelief allowed. <laughs> no unbelief. I love the way he talks. It's, it's hilarious the way he talks about it. <laughs> Can you imagine a big woman standing there, you know? She, would, there was a, she said there was a list of people they would only let in. They wouldn't let anything else in. They wouldn't let any fear, unbelief, or sadness, or sympathy. Sympathy will kill you. It won't heal you. They didn't want any sorrow. They didn't want any sadness. They didn't want any sympathy. They wanted faith. Glory to God. Now, the long, the long story short is they went in and they looked and they said, you know what, that growth, we could see it here. They had a, on, it was right on the, uh, the camera previously, is completely gone. It's completely gone. Amen. You can actually go on, online and see their testimony. It's just an amazing thing. But I remember him talking about, he says, look, he said, when adversity comes against you, life-threatening things come against you, you know, that makes you realize at that point, what's really on the inside of me? What do I really believe? Because if you go through life and you never have to deal with something that's even life-threatening, I'm not saying that's the lot forever. That's not. But I'm saying if you've never dealt with a serious thing in your life, you don't know what you really do believe. But when the day of adversity comes, how do you respond? How do you act? What comes out of your mouth? Is it fear or is it faith? Hallelujah. Now look at verse uh, Deuteronomy 28. Now we understand Deuteronomy 28 is the what? The curse of the law. The curse. Jesus in Galatians 3.13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Right? Now we know that the curse is threefold. It's poverty, sickness, and spiritual death. Threefold. He's redeemed us from that. But you know what? There's a lot of other things in here sometimes we overlook. 
One of the promises in the Word of God is you would, one of the uh, curses is you would begat sons and daughters, but you wouldn't enjoy them. They'd be led into captivity. Do you know that's a curse? And if you have kids that are going off into captivity, spiritual captivity, that's a curse. That's a curse. And you have authority. I and you have authority over that spirit. We're redeemed from the curse. I'm sorry, but I can't teach this morning. I've got to preach this. Amen? And I want you to see in verse uh, 28, chapter 28, verse 66, this is the curse. It said, And thy life shall hang before thee in doubt. It says, And thy life shall hang in doubt before thee, and thou shalt fear day and night. And thou shalt have no assurance of thy life. Verse 67. In the morning you will say, Would to God it were evening. And, in the, and when evening is... Come, thou shalt say, Would to God it were morning, for fear of thine heart, wherewith thou shalt fear for the sight of thine eyes, which thou shalt, thou shalt see. In other words, we would say, you know, man, if it's morning, I wish it were night. If it were night, I wish it were morning. I'm just dread. It's called dread. Say dread. Dread is rooted in fear. Dread is rooted in unbelief. Oh, God, I wish it were Tuesday and it's Monday. Oh, God, I wish it were Friday and it's Wednesday. No, God wants you to enjoy Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. He wants you to enjoy every single day. Are you with me? But here's what I want you to see here. Verse 66 says, that's easy to remember, that's Lemuel's old number. He says, and thy life shall hang before thee in doubt. That's a curse. In other words, doubt about your future. Folks, you don't have to go to some fortune tower to find out your future. In fact, I'd, I'd, I'd encourage you not to do that. I remember one time I was in, uh, just graduated from high school, and I had a, a friend of mine, a girlfriend of mine, who wasn't my girlfriend, but she uh, graduated from a high school up in Johnstown, which is a couple hours from here. <laughs> and... Um, and she just practically begged me to go to the prom. She didn't have anybody to go. I didn't really want to go to the first place, you know. And so I said, okay, I was a nice guy. And I said, I'll, all right, I'll do it, you know. And I, I went with her, you know. And so we did the whole prom thing, you know. And I was, I was already, I just graduated from high school myself the year before that. And, uh, and then they had the after prom thing. Now I didn't know what was going on, but it was at this school. And they had this, they had uh, a fortune teller come in, all these different occult people come in. Like the after prom entertainment, you know what I'm saying? Then I'll tell you, I'll, I'm telling you, my spirit was stirred up. <laughs> I said, I'm sorry, but I can't stay here for this stuff, you know, and I just left that place. Now, she understood. Amen. But I'm not going to spend my time sitting there under a fortune teller. He says right here, and thy life shall hang in doubt before thee, and thou shalt fear. That is a curse. Say, I'm redeemed from doubt. I'm redeemed from doubt. I'm redeemed from fear. It doesn't belong to me. Hallelujah. This is the best news you've heard all week, I guarantee you, right now. Your spirit knows it. Your body's just catching up. But your spirit already knows it. Hallelujah. How come it takes so long sometimes to receive certain things from the Lord? Could it be 
that we've allowed what we see and what we hear to affect the condition of our heart. We're not keeping God's Word before us. Focusing on that. Focusing on that. You know, even in the world of NASCAR, which I, I'm not into, I, I see it and so forth, but I'm not really into it. But there are people that are into NASCAR and, and speed racing and things like that, you know. And when you watch it on television, it, anybody can say, like, I can do that. That you have no idea how fast they get. They put a camera inside the, the guy, right by the guy's head, you know. And they show that, and the guy's like, <laughs> everything's shaking, man. Everything's rattling and shaking because you're going like 100 and 200 miles, almost 200 miles an hour. And I mean, it's, it's, everything's rattling and shaking. But on television, it looks like, you know, the Route 79 at rush hour. <laughs> it's not. Because if, if anybody could do it, anybody could. But it's not, it is not easy what those guys do. Now, I heard a personal interview here, and I'm wrapping this up here today, of a guy that, especially when they go into these, they have these turns, of course, you know, at both ends of the track, they've got turns. And that's, that's the most crucial part, actually, because a lot, a lot of bad stuff can happen there, okay? And one of the things they were all trained to do is when they're, uh, when they're going down, they're about to approach the curve, they don't look at the wall, they're looking to where they want to go, not where they're at. Because if they look towards the wall, the Bible, not the Bible says, but their mind tricks them and they start, they start, what they look at, they start to gravitate toward the wall. It's just something in the brain of, of us, you know what I mean? And they're, they're going that fast and if they look towards the wall, it actually pulls them into the wall, mentally speaking, and there's been more crashes because of that. But here's what they've tr been trained to do is this, is that when they're going towards the bend, they're not looking where they're at, they're looking where they're going to go. They're not looking at the immediate, they're looking at where they're heading, and so it keeps their head on straight, keeps their car in the right place so that they don't crash. And I thought, you know, that's kind of interesting because that's kind of like life, right? If you get too close to the wall, and those walls, and you start to look at it, you start to gravitate towards that, and all of a sudden you can have a crash. Are you with me now? But if you're looking ahead to where you want to go, you'll stay the course and you will eventually get there. If you're dealing with a sickness or disease or pain in your physical body, it's the temptation is to keep looking at that pain, keep looking at that sickness, keep looking at that thing. If you keep looking at that, you, you start to get sucked into that thing and it becomes worse. But if you're looking ahead and you're looking at the promise up there, the Word of God, and saying what the Word of God says, you will overcome that bend and you will get to your destination. I know a little bit what I'm talking about. Amen? So keep your eyes on the destination. You don't have to turn here, but just write down here. I'm just going to refer to it. This is the last scripture. Been in Luke chapter 8, verses 49 through 56. That's Luke 8, 49 through 56. Uh, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. There was a girl that died. And Jesus was going to go raise her up, but the Bible says that he put them all forth. He put, in other words, even the parents. Amen. And he, now, why did he do that? Why did he, basically, he kicked them out. Why did he do that? Because you can't take unbelief into an atmosphere where you need a miracle. 
You've got to take some faith with you. Even Peter did that in Acts chapter 9. Remember the, the little girl named Dorcas, 12 years of age? He'd been around this long enough with Jesus. He said he put them all forth. He put them all forth. Kick out unbelief. Now, we're not trying to be mean-spirited, mean to people. But, you know, when you're praying about something, you need a miracle. You, know, you don't need to be surrounded by all the believers that, so, that seemingly believe. Because not everybody really believes. <laughs> you found that out? Are you with me now? But you've got to be peop with people that, I believe this. I'm hooking up with you. There are, there are certain ministers that, to this day, that I'll contact. And I've been in touch with them for many, many years. Many years. There's one evangelist lady friend of ours that lives in Texas. We've been in touch with her for over 30-some years. You know. And I, I've known, I know this about her, about Sister Mitzi. Is when she prays, things happen. She is one intercessor. She's from Panama, has a Spanish background, you know, and, and I mean to tell you, she's a prophetess of the Word of God. And, um, but if I need something done, if I need prayer, I'll call someone like her up. I said, Pastor Keith, I'm going to pray for you. And when she says, I'm going to pray for you, you know it's just a matter of time before it happens. It just happens, praise God. So Jesus would do that. He would put them all forth. He would kick out unbelief, you know. Not trying to be mean to people, but, you know, you got to have the right kind of people to get the right kind of results. Praise God. So today, I wanted to leave that with you here. And I purposely wanted to share this even before we receive our offering this morning because we need to mix faith with what we do. Praise God. Because I'll tell you, people, circumstances and people will talk you out of giving. They will talk you out of giving. Are you with me? Talk you out of tithing and so forth. But let me tell you something. When you mix faith, when you mix faith with what you hear with the Word of God, and doubt is not a part of that, you will receive the absolute blessing that He has for you. Praise God. Say, I'm not a doubter. I'm a believer. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Matter of fact, say this. Let's just do this right now in the name of Jesus. Now say this out loud. Say it with authority. Okay? In the name of Jesus. Say, in the name of Jesus. I take authority over all doubt, all fear, and unbelief in my life. You are under my feet. Forever, Forever in Jesus' name. In Jesus name. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. No doubt, no fear, no unbelief. It's under my feet. Under my feet. Where it belongs. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The root of every sin, the root of every sin. Let me say it again. The root of every sin is unbelief. Think about it. I'm not going to expound on that, but just stop thinking. The root of every sin is unbelief. Amen? In the book of Revelation, it talks about those that will be in the lake of fire. In Revelation, it says the unbelieving, they're at the top of the list. The unbelieving, the abominable, 
He lists a bunch of different things, but at the top of the list is unbelieving. Unbelievers. Do you know why people are in hell today? You know why people are in hell today? Unbelief. It wasn't God's will that they go there. Unpardonable sin. Unbelief. They just don't believe. They don't believe. Believe the wrong thing. We don't have to be taken by that spirit ever again. Hallelujah to Jesus. Father, I thank you right now. Thank you that the spirit of doubt has been exposed. Fear is is exposed and it's under our feet. And we will not be governed any longer ever again by that spirit. But we have the spirit of faith. You said we having, having the spirit of faith according to that which was spoken. We have the spirit of faith. I have the spirit of faith. Say that. I have the spirit of faith. 2 Corinthians 4, 13 says that. We having the same spirit of faith according as it is written. I believe, therefore have I spoken. We believe, therefore, and we speak. I have the spirit of faith. I have the spirit of faith. I choose to believe God's word. When I hear God's word, I make a choice. I believe God's word. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Come on up here, Kel. She thought I forgot about her, but I didn't. I didn't. I want you to put in your own words how you shared with me about John 10.10, how the Lord shared that with you. Because I thought, even when you shared it with me, I felt like, that needs to be shared from your heart. And I can't say it as good as you did. Is that all right? Yeah, Josh, can you pull it up in the New Living Translation, John 10, 10? I think a lot of times you hear about the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but that's just part of the scripture. It says the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Share what the Lord shared with you about that, about how we major sometimes on the wrong things instead of, uh, remember how you shared that with me? (laughs) About how we focus on the thief instead of him. <laughs> Go ahead, just share it. I mean, just share how you, you want to see what you got healed from. Share how that happened to you. Sure. Um, I've, Amen. since I was very young, had to deal with something that was very painful. Um, and I learned, like, things, like, with my diet, like, I could change that would help that. So I just thought it was, you know, this is something I have to deal with. Um, I I would still, like, speak scriptures over it and th- things like that, but mm-hmm. I never thought to, like, ask to be healed yeah. by it, for it. Right. <laughs> That's cool. Um, mm-hmm. So the, um, just, like, two weeks ago, I was having severe pain. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, I, I have a pretty high pain tolerance, but I was crying. It yeah. was so bad. So my mom came up. And she was praying for me, praying in the spirit. And um, 
I'd stopped crying from pain, but I just started weeping. Yes. And I just felt, what did you say? You said I something? Just, I just said, I said, no more when I come out. Yeah, and I just started weeping, and I, I just felt like, I'll, I didn't, in my head I didn't feel this, but I was like, I'm healed. I said it out loud, I'm healed. And I, I was, I've, I, the pain was completely gone, and I, yes. I, st- yes. I still feel completely healed. Yes, yes. Like, it, it didn't yes. click in my mind, but <laughs> in my spirit, I knew that I was healed. And it was, Yes. I wasn't asking for it. Yeah. It was just a, a, because Jesus loves me. Yeah. There and you go. It, he was telling me he wants to display his love like that more in, in greater ways. And we don't have to be, like, standing in faith. I mean, we, of course, we stand in faith, right. but sometimes he just wants to bless us. Right there. That's right. Thank you. Did a great job. You know, it, uh, I was, uh, I wasn't there in the room when it happened, but I was within earshot. I was, I was listening. I could hear, obviously, their vocals were raised up. I could hear them crying, and um, and Brother Dan, I was, I was in the other room. I was downstairs. They were upstairs when this happened, and I, I started weeping downstairs because I felt the power. Of, Lynn just grabbed her and said, that's enough, no more of this, you know, and they, I, could just, I felt them latching on, and it just made me start to weep because I felt the power of God come into the room, and I didn't want to interrupt that. I'd waited until it was all finished, and I went up there. I said, man, I felt the presence of God up there, you know, and that she received her healing. You know what I'm saying? The anointing and the presence of God. Amen? I'll tell you what. We kicked doubt and fear out the door today of our lives. We're not going to allow that in this church. We're not going to allow it in our lives. God has a future for you. He's a future for us. And we're going we're gonna to tap in. We're going to receive everything that God has for us. Sometimes the clock and the calendar can be your greatest enemy. Even in a church service sometimes. My son will be back there. He'll hold the offering buckets up. Come on, let's go. Like, I don't know it's the end of the service. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Come on, Dad. Come on. <laughs> and, uh, but, but, you know, we're not trying to keep people over at all. We're just trying to, we just go till the Lord says, that's enough. That's enough right now. Praise God. But, um, but I'm, I'm telling you, you're going you're gonna to be, you're going to be leaping for joy, praise God, because now those things that have, like that fear and that phobia when it comes against you, that, that subtle fear, that's what happened. That's the original thing that happened in the Garden of Eden. God said this to them, then the devil came and said, half God said. Remember that? The first, the original sin, the devil came through the body of the serpent and said, do you really think God meant what he said? That's the same thing he does today. He comes and suggests to you, yeah, it might have worked for other people, but it's not going to work for you. You don't have enough what it takes. You don't have enough faith. You, don't pray, you haven't prayed long enough. All these lies that he says to your mind. But I tell you, you have enough. I have enough. We have enough to get the job done. Amen. The minority. Sambrokala. No 
no crusta, redici, ramamara katadeshish, frit al ambro bro de la baka. For you might think, you might, it might seem, and yea, it might feel like you are the minority. But know this, know this, when I am with you and you are with me, we are always majority. And so see yourself after the Spirit. See yourself after my word. See yourself as how I see you, for you and me are majority. And there's nothing that can swallow you up. There's no fear that can overtake you. There's no situation that's too big for you to overcome. For me and you are majority, saith the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You hear that? Spirit of God says, you and me, are, we are majority. They that be with us are more than they that be with them. <laughs> oh, we praise you, Lord, right now. We praise you right now. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The greater one lives and abides and dwells on the inside of us. Praise you, Father. Praise you, Father. Praise you, Father. Praise you, Father.